it went straight down the middle. Then it started to hook. So one win in 87, and then in 88 you win uh, Bank of Boston, right? Bank of Boston. That's that's really when I hit my, my, my peak stride in golf. Uh, I won the Pleasant Valley Bank of Boston uh, in the fall of 88. Uh, nearly won the tour championship, I think, at Pebble Beach. I think I finished second or third there. And then went on uh, down to uh, Sydney, Australia, and won the Australian Open, uh, which by like seven or eight, uh, I, I was I was just playing phenomenal. Uh, next thing you know, 89 shows up and uh, played good in the hope and maybe somewhere else, San Diego, and then uh, boom, I won Phoenix by about eight. Uh, went up to Pebble Beach, didn't play too good. How did bad I remember? And then uh, next week, you know, I didn't lose my confidence, and then I won L.A. Uh, at Riviera. Uh, uh, so, you know, winning two out of three weeks was was awesome. I was super confident. Had some other good tournaments, and then, you know, along came the British Open. And uh, uh, as soon as I saw Royal Trail, I, I knew I loved it. Uh, and, you know, at the beginning of the week, you're not thinking about winning. You know, obviously, you got to kind of – get into the tournament and see how you stand and, you know, see what kind of shape you're in. But, uh, yeah, even, uh, even going around the, the, the seven, eight, nine, ten on Sunday, Wayne Grady was at least five shots ahead of me. So I wasn't even thinking about winning that. I was just trying to have a good turn, you know, good finish. Uh, and then it all changed when I, when I flew that chip in the hole on number 12. Uh, after that, I didn't miss a shot. And the next thing I know I'm in a playoff. So it was, uh, we're going to come back to that one because we want to go yep. through that one in gory detail because there's a lot of right. good stuff there with the playoff and everything. But let me just take you back to that stretch of wins you you kind of breeze by, uh, uh, in particular the Australian Open because, Bruce, you had a little experience with that one down there, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Uh, a little bit before Mark, though. My, my, <laughs> just a little bit before him. Might have been back when he yeah. might have been back when he was born in 1960. It was, it was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot earlier than when Mark went down there. But you know, it's great that uh, that we were able in the early days to bring the American players down to play in Australia because uh, there was never much money down there, Mark. You know that. Uh, right. It was. It was. Uh, it was great that the American players would come down and and play in Australia. And I think it's helped the game tremendously. Uh, golf in Australia has improved a lot. And I think the American players had a lot to do with it. Well, thanks. Yeah. And I, I love playing uh, down in Australia and, and playing on the open. I know uh, Jack always played a lot down there yeah. and uh, oh, yeah, a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of American players enjoy coming down there to play. Uh, you know, the golf courses are phenomenal. Uh, in in Sydney, and I've only played in Sydney and Melbourne, the Sandbelt in Melbourne, and uh, once in Adelaide. And I've never been to Perth, but you know, oh, I played up at the Gold Coast too, as well with uh, Ian Baker Finch. Yeah. So I, I just always have a great time there. And uh, uh, my wife wants me to take her there, and I said, "Well, it's not exactly close." No, but uh, <laughs> maybe we can get down there for a vacation here in the next uh, few years uh, and spend a. A week or a week or two down there. It's only about eighteen hours from where you live. Yeah, you know, that's all. you can fly into Dallas and then take a non-stop sixteen and a half hours into Sydney. <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah. That's it. 
But, you know, talking about the golf courses in Australia, and I know everybody will think that I'm, you know, because I'm about what I'm about to say is I'm, I'm partial to it. But I think the Sandbelt courses in Melbourne might be the best accumulation of great golf courses in the world. I, I, I 100% agree. Uh, there's there's at least 10 great courses uh, along there within a, what, 10 or 15-mile radius. Uh, Kingston Heath being my favorite. Of course, Royal Melbourne's awesome. Yeah. Uh, uh, Metropolitan, there's so many good ones. Uh, but, yeah, the, the bunkering is just, uh, you know, it's just so cool. Uh, what what Bruce? What's the name of that course where the the bunkers come right up to the edge of the green? I mean, they literally you're either on the green or in the bunker. Well, they are uh, they are at Royal uh, Royal's bunkers Royal. in that way where the putting surface is right on the edge of the bunkers. But uh, you know, there are a lot. Maybe uh, I'm trying to think which one you might be thinking about. Uh, there are there are a few of them yeah. like that, but I think that that's one of the coolest looks I've ever seen. I just love that. Well, Mark, we've talked to Jack Nicholas. We've talked to Gary Player about the experiences, you know, coming down, playing exhibitions with Bruce and playing in Australia. Uh, Bruce is modest, uh, but in 1960, he won the Australian Open as an amateur. Awesome. I did not know that. Yeah. How old were you? Oh, you're, you're, oh no. You're aging yourself here. Well, no, I was uh, 23. 23, yeah. yeah. There you go. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't start playing golf until I was fifteen years old because uh, I was a field hockey player, really. And then, uh-huh. then my dad lost an arm in an automobile accident, and he was a he was about a twenty handicap, a left handed, played left handed. But uh, I always tell the story about you know he was looking for somebody to uh, to go back out back out on the golf course with him when he rehabbed, and he was looking for. Uh, somebody to do it and he told me that I was the guy he was looking for to do it so I had to go play golf with him that's how I got started nice so nice that's awesome a couple of the other victories you uh, you went through the the the, the win in Boston in 88 uh, that was by one over Don Pooley uh, and a little overlap with Bruce again because he won there in 72 by three over Lee Elder um and then uh, you mentioned the good start in 89. Phoenix was uh, was uh, by seven. This was the first Phoenix Open that you won by seven over Jeff Beck. And uh, in L.A. at Riviera, which is a great track by one over Sandy Lyle. A couple of good wins, almost back-to-back. I mean, you had a week in between, right. I guess. Huh? Right. Yeah, I, I, it was uh, – of course, I love Riviera. And, and you know, the TPC uh, Scottsdale, I, I wouldn't say I love the course, but I, I love the tournament and the atmosphere. And the, the course, it was perfect for me uh, in, in terms of, you know, there's no trees. It's a desert course, but it's severe around the greens. And, uh, you know, if you short side yourself in some of those deep bunkers, you're, 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 you're in trouble. But, uh, you know, I had the, the L wedge and I was good out of the bunkers. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I understood the greens there in Phoenix. Like they're, they're kind of subtle. A lot of people have, have problems making putts out there, but, uh, I never did for some reason. I, I always knew what every putt was going to do, and yeah, that's a that, that sure is a nice feeling when that happens. I want to say to the folks who who haven't looked at Mark's uh, scoring history in his three Phoenix Open wins, he won by twenty shots cumulatively. He won by <laughs> seven, five, and eight, 
And in 2001, check this out, 65, 60, 64, 67 for a total of 256. Now, do you think he liked the uh, TPC at Scottsdale? I do. I think he loved it. (laughs) Right, right. And the weather was bad that week, too. Oh, was it, really? Oh, yeah. It was cold and and rainy and, uh, I mean, really cold. It was was awful. Uh, We had to play 27 holes on Sunday. And uh, when we restarted, it was, you know, 40 degrees or whatever, but not all the ice had melted. And when I I hit it in the left rough on nine, my last hole on Saturday, when they blew the siren. So I marked my ball, you know, with a tee. When I came back out Sunday morning, there was a sheet of ice uh, over my tee. (laughs) So I called an official. I said, what do I do? Do I just put it on top of the ice or, or do I break, you know, break the ice? What do I do? He, you know, he didn't know. He says, I put it on top of the ice and give it a, give it a whack. Really? So sure enough, I put it on top of a sheet of ice and, and hit a seven iron six inches from the hole. I'm like, all right, let's go. <laughs> yeah, boy, oh, boy, what a story. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, and, and uh, Rocco, fin- mediate, finished second, uh, eight shots behind me. And then Steve Lowry finished third, another eight shots behind him. So, Oh, my. And that's it was, uh, it, it was it was almost Tiger-esque, you know, uh, where I had third covered by uh, 16, 16 shots. shots. Yeah. 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 Well, it was, it was a, you know, it was a record uh, score for your 72 hole scoring record at the time. Uh, that, that uh, second round 60, 11 under was also a record. Those were both later matched by Phil Mickelson, but uh, right. uh, so that was your, that was your third win at Phoenix in 2001. There's, uh, only three other guys have won three times there, and they were pretty good. Mr. Palmer, Gene Littler, and Phil Mickelson. Right. That's a pretty good list to be a part of. Isn't it? Good, good company to be part of, yeah. Yeah. I, I got to admit, uh, I wasn't exactly rooting for Phil when he was going for his four Phoenix <laughs> Open win one year. Or when he 360 lipped out that putt for 59. You know, I, I wanted to kind of keep the course record uh yeah, with him for a little bit, but uh, yeah, that was. You remember that putt? Yeah, bones went down to the ground. Uh, yeah, that was yeah. that was brutal. But yeah. yeah, no, I'm a, I'm a big, huge Phil Mickelson fan. But yeah, I don't I don't want him to win there anymore. <laughs> so we, we kind of fast forwarded from uh, from 1989 early victories, and and of course we'll get back to the Open win to 2001. But in between, there were a few wins uh, you, you, after the Open win in 1989. Uh, you won again, I guess that would have been early 92. So what was happening in your life, in your game, in that stretch, uh, probably playing well, but just didn't have a PGA victory during that stretch? Right. Uh, A couple things happened, and it it wasn't the clubs, but I was receiving quite a bit of grief for uh, the only reason I was any good was because of the square grooves on my Copper Brilliant I2 irons. Hmm. So in 90. Uh, I decided I was going to sign a deal with Tommy Armour, uh, 845s, which are almost identical to Ping I2s, but they had V grooves. Well, anyway, uh, I, I did finish uh, second six times in 90. Uh, so, you know, I was still playing great. Yeah. Uh, a couple of them I gave away, a couple of them, and I finished, you know, good rounds to finish second. But I was still, you know, still playing great. Uh, but, you know, it's – it's always been hard to win sure. no matter, you know, it's, it's harder to win nowadays than ever. Uh, but I've, I've always said, I, I, 
I don't think winning's that easy to do. No, it's uh, not. Unless, you know, you just, you're, you're clearly on a different planet that week. Uh, but, uh, and then 91, I, I played some good golf too. And then finally, finally got another win in 92 at Phoenix. So, uh, yeah, it, it was, it was a little bit of a drought for sure. Yeah. You picked up a win in 95, uh, in the Bell South Classic at Atlanta Country Club by two over Jim Gallagher. Uh, that came, uh, I guess about three years later. And, yeah. uh, and then won uh, the Greater Vancouver Open in 87 uh, by one over Andrew McGee. 97, yeah. Yeah. What I, yeah, sorry. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yep. and, and then your second Honda in 98, huh? Yep. The, the, it, the quick story on the Greater Vancouver uh, tournament. Um, on Friday, on number nine, which was my 36th hole, I was, I was eight or nine or ten under. I was playing great. But I hit a just an, I wasn't driving it great, and I just hit an awful drive. And of course, I only had one driver, and I hit some sort of big flare slice out into a pond. And in front of the tee, there was an Air Canada sign, and uh, <laughs> I, you know, I just bobbed up and chucked my driver at the sign and broke it. And I pulled it towards the left edge of the sign. Of course, there's a metal stake holding up the sign. Yep, sure. So my driver, my shaft hit the hit the hit the metal stake just right in the middle of it, and. All you could see was a, a, a shaft and a club head, and I, I autographed it. I signed it. And, but now I got no driver for the weekend. So I borrow Tim Heron's Mizuno driver, like a triple X shaft. The straightest I could hit it was about a 30-yard slice. That's the best I could do with it, was a 30-yard slice. <laughs> Luckily, I had room to start my 30-yard slice out. Uh, and, still, and I was using Jeff Maggart's putter that I'd been using for a while. And uh, anyway, we're on the 18th green, and I've got about a two-and-a-half straight uphill putt to, for the win. And I look over, and I see my caddy unscrewing the flag. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Bad karma. I gonna do? This is going to be the worst thing in the world if I miss this. I can't believe he's doing that to me. Oh. And uh, we still laugh about that today. But I somehow made the putt right in the middle, and I was like, don't do that again, whatever you do. Yeah. Wait till the putt goes in before you start unscrewing the flag. Uh, yeah, that's and, that's uh, that can be so bad that was, karma. Yeah, a couple of funny things happened that week. <laughs> well, let's see. We can go ahead uh, of that 2001, that third win at Phoenix, and uh, and talk about the Bell Canadian Open uh, at Shaughnessy Golf and Country Club by one over Ben Crane and Ryan Moore. Yeah. Yeah, what a great course Shaughnessy is. Uh, and they played two or three other Canadian Opens uh, after after I won there in 05. And the winning score is usually somewhere between eight and four under. I mean, that just tells you what kind of course that was. I think I was five under. You were. And I made one birdie on the weekend. Uh, But my short, I was getting up and down from everywhere when I missed a green, and the rough was gnarly and scraggly. And, uh, yeah, uh, winning with five under, I, I shot, I think I shot 65, 67. 72 71 something like that with one birdie on the weekend and, mm. and that was from six inches by the way so i just could not get a putt to go in but i was i was making all my par putts but anyway uh that's probably uh my second and third favorite wins uh after of course the open championship or uh, the australian open in 88 and the canadian open in uh in 05 uh just because they're open champ- they're national championships yeah. you know they're they're yeah. they're big important world famous tournaments and uh uh, I, 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 yeah, I love that win. Yeah. Bruce, I can recall growing up uh, when I was a younger kid and, and 
you know, you talk about the Canadian Open as like a fifth major. It was, actually. Uh, I, I, I mean, everybody thought it was a fifth major. It uh, was always a great tournament to win. Yeah, and amazingly, Jack Nicklaus never won that one. Yeah. Is that incredible? Yeah. And he yeah. played in it every year. Yeah, that's amazing, too. Built, built that golf course as well. That, right. that the Open was yep. played Glen on. Abbey. Glen Abbey, yep. yeah. Yeah, speaking of Glen Abbey, you did something special there four years later, didn't you, Mark? I did. I had my uh, 14-year-old son uh, on the bag, and uh, we started on 10, and a par 10 and 11. 12 is a hard par 3. Uh, hit a good shot, 10 feet, birdie. Played up the next hole, hit a wedge close, birdie. Made a 20-footer in the next hole, hit it close in the next hole. Two-putted the next hole, par five for birdie. Made a 20-footer on 17. And then, uh, well, after my fourth birdie in a row, my son my son goes, Dad, that's four in a row. I said, yeah, I know. <laughs> he, goes, he goes, you're on fire. I said, yeah, <laughs> this is fun. And then uh, and then after that, he didn't say anything. And then after I made uh, – after I, I, I hit a five-wood into 18, about 10 feet, and I thought, well, shoot, if I make this, I'm going to ruin my birdie streak because uh, <laughs> the old number four now is number one. It's a driver nine-iron hole, pretty easy hole. And then there's a par five after that, and I'm already thinking ahead. Mm-hmm. Anyway, of course, I tried to make the eagle putt and, and just hung on the lip and didn't go in. Uh, and then to make eight in a row, which was the record uh, previously held by about six guys. Right. And one of the guys that held that record, I was playing with that yeah. day, J.P. Hayes. Yeah. I'll yeah. be and, uh, <laughs> Yep. And uh, I hit it about five feet uh, for my eighth birdie, and it was a downhill left to righter, hard putt. And I just I just poured it right in the middle. So we get up on the last hole, uh, my ninth after eight straight birdies. It's a dogleg right par five. Uh the old number five at Glen Abbey. It's number two now. And my son says, dad, I said, what, bud? He goes, don't duck, don't duck hook it over there by that fence. Like you did yesterday. Laughing. JP, everybody's laughing. And, uh, good idea. You know, there's something, yeah. 14 year old say to you. And, uh, but it actually relaxed me because I, I, you know, I got a laugh out of it. Hit two perfect shots, a driver and a five wood on the green and two putted from 40 feet. And uh, for my ninth birdie in a row, and JP Hayes, we're walking to the sixth tee. And he goes, "Thanks for breaking the only the PGA Tour record I had." <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, then I actually lipped out a chip on the next hole for ten in a row. So, oh my! Uh, but you know, so I'm still still playing great, and I'm like, I'm trying to make as many more birdies as I can. And uh, the next hole is a super hard par three, and I just I hit it straight at the flag. And it, it, I was a little pumped up, I guess, and it, it flew in the back bunker and buried in the downslope in the back of the bunker, made a double. So, so much for that, you know, yeah. so much for that streak. And my, my nine in a row was forgotten quickly. Yeah, what a what a stretch, though. Yeah, what a stretch. Amazing. Well, let's cover the, 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 um, the other win, which was 2007, the Pods Championship, um, and you won that by one over John Senden and Heath Slocum.
Hear that? That's the sound of a walk-off albatross, a two on a par five to win a two-day golf tournament. That shot happened to me. One in 600 million odds. Since then, people call me Albie. Now, I've told this story so often, my friends can't take it. I'm pretty sure my wife, next time I tell her, she's going to leave me. So I decided to start a podcast to tell the entire world about it because it deserves it. It's the craziest shot you've never heard of. And guess what? There's tons more stories like this all around golf. And that's what our podcast is all about. Join me and my fellow degenerates, Panda and Shepard, as we dive into them. Insane bets, crazy what-if scenarios, and all the you-had-to-be-there type moments in golf. Find us wherever you get your podcast. Did I tell you about Malbatross? Yep. Uh, the thing about that tournament was uh, I wasn't putting very well going into that week. Uh, so I went to Edwin Watts, and I bought a putter. Uh, it was a, a Ping Redwood. And I had this other kind of prototype putter that I thought I really liked uh, that I used the first day. Well, of course, I hit 16 greens and shot four over. I had about 38 putts. And uh, so that was the end of that putter. Uh, I told my wife, uh, we played in the afternoon that day. Uh, we had dinner that night. I said, okay, because uh, I, I had Eric Larson caddying for me. I said, uh, when, you know, we're staying right there in the first green in one of those condos. And I said, Make sure you got the car all packed up. Get the dogs ready. Huh. Uh, as soon as I get done, we're, we're off. hitting the road. We're out of here. And uh, <laughs> so I put this redwood putter that I bought in play, and I figured something out on the putting green. Uh, my right hand was getting, even with the claw, my right hand was getting too involved with it. So I thought, just barely put your right hand on the dang thing and just pull with your left hand. Uh, well, 54 holes later, I made everything I looked at and, uh, ended up winning by one. So it was, uh, pretty amazing. Yeah. Well, that's a pretty good, uh, pretty good stretch. Just talking about a bunch of wins, including all those PGA tour victories that you had. Uh, why don't we move on to the majors if we can, we'll take them in the order that they fall. So we can start quickly with the masters and there's some highlights to review there for, uh, for Mark Calcavecchia, 18 starts. He had two top fives and, and 10 top 25s. Uh, best finishes. Well, let's start with 1988. Yeah, it was a pretty tough week of weather. It was pretty windy. Uh, the greens were hard and as fast as I think they've ever been. And uh, I made some nice, uh, nice putts on the back nine and uh, uh, hit the wrong club into 18, which I've said before. If I had one shot, I could take back. It'd be that one. Uh, this was before the you know the course was lengthened and and all that. So I just hit a beautiful driver on the corner and uh, figured I'd just hit a hard wedge uh, in there, and I, I hit it as hard as I could hit it and hit the the, the false front and rolled back down the hill. And I, I wish I would have hit a nine iron and, and I completely forgot about the slope behind the, behind the, in the yeah. middle of the green there. Yeah. But anyway, uh, so I'm still ahead by one at this point. And then, uh, so I'm on the way to the Butler camp and Sandy Lyle just birdied 16. And, uh, so now we're even and he parts 17 and I'm in the Butler cabin and, uh, he hits that one iron right up into the lip of the bunker. And, uh, you know, I thought, well, He's nobody in the world hits it higher than him at that point. They didn't for sure. And when I saw his lie, it was, it was just sitting perfect and it was on the upslope. So I knew he, he had no, no problem getting over the lip, but still, you know, he tied for the lead on the masters. Yeah. It's not exactly where you want to be. Right. And of course he just hit, hit the best shot of his life. And his eyeballs were like that when he was <laughs> looking at it flying through the air. And I said, Oh man, he hit a great shot. And it got up the hill, rolled back down. 
And uh, I knew he was going to make the 10 or 12 footer. And I just told everybody in the Butler cabin, he's going to make this and poured it right in the middle. But, you know, at the time, so I'm doing my interviews and, you know, I was kind of disappointed. I was getting all jacked up for, uh, you know, I told myself, just get ready for a playoff. He's not going to make a bogey. He'll find a way to make par. But then when he made birdie, I was kind of in a state of shock. And I told all the guys in the press, look, you know, it was a blast. I I love this tournament, love the golf course, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I'll play in this thing another 20 times in my life. Uh, I'll, I'll get a win. Uh, I'll win here. You know, and that's just kind of what, the way I thought. Yeah. Because yeah. uh, I was playing well and, well, you know, whatever. And I yeah. uh, had a few other chances. Uh, I can't remember the years, but I think I had a couple of fours. Two, uh, one of the years Tiger won. 2001. Uh, 2001. I, I know I birdied one to tie for the lead. And then just really didn't do anything the rest of the day. Just made a whole bunch of pars and, and – uh, you know, I don't think I buried the par fives in the back nine and, uh, you know, end up falling back. But, uh, you know, that, that tournament is, uh, it, it's something special. Well, you had to witness uh, to beat you one of the more iconic final round shots in majors history with that seven iron out of the bunker by Lyle. But the year before we talked to a fellow that hit a pretty good shot the, uh, <laughs> to, to win in the playoff on 11. Oh, 87, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that was when Greg Norman was kind of having problems with people holing out on him yeah. on the last hole or a playoff or whatever. But right. uh, uh, that that chip Larry hit, uh, I mean, it, it was just incredible. Uh, it, the, the bunker's a little further back now than it was then. Uh, but, you know, that, that's so fast, and the green's kind of going down towards the water. And, uh, you know, obviously the nerves and the pressure. And uh, every time I walked by there, or I did after that, uh, you know, I looked at that chip he made, and I'm like, huh. you know, I would have chunked it or chunked it or scalded or done something. Uh, pretty amazing. Well, that 87 Masters was your first one, and so we were talking about your second Masters in 1988. You you think about, uh, you know, you guys. It's a series of learnings. You guys build on 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 what you learn and and apply that in future tournaments. But I suppose instead of that being your second Masters, had that been your 10 or 12th. Uh, perhaps you would have played that last shot a little differently, huh? Yeah, I, a hundred percent. Uh, I think, uh, you know, and I was aware of, of, uh, of not getting it up on the green and giving myself a chance for birdie. I mean, I hit a great chip to about six inches, which was a big relief, but still it would have been nice to have that, that putt in the middle of the green right across of the hole there that, uh, that a lot of people have had in the past. And, uh, yeah, but if it wasn't my second masters, I probably would have been more aware of it and, uh, and make, made sure I got it to, and used the slope a little bit and at least got it up there. Yeah. You had a pretty good back nine in 1992, the year Fred Couples uh, won on Sunday. I did. I, I birdied 10 and uh, just kind of out of nowhere. I really didn't do much on the front. I think I shot even par in the front, which isn't a bad score. My motto at Augusta was always just get me to 8T even par. You know, because I think one through seven, I mean, you can find yourself four or five over in a heartbeat on those holes. Uh, but anyway, uh, I think I made about a 20-footer on 10 for birdie. And then I hit it uh, 10 feet on 11 and missed it and six feet on 12 and missed it. Wow. And then I, then I birdied the last six. Wow. And uh, for, for a 29, and they were all basically tap-ins. So it's just one of those, uh, one of those, one of those stretches. You talking about getting to eight T, uh, Bruce? That hole was pretty easy for you, wasn't it? The eight, yeah. yeah. Well, I, it was in sixty seven, 
I made a two there. <laughs> you made a two there? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've never I've never made a double eagle. I, I I've holed out a three wood twice on my second ball, you know, mulligan yeah. into a par five where you hit a crappy one right. and give me another one and then boom, you make it. Yeah. But you certainly can't count that. But I've never had a <laughs> uh, never had a double eagle. And it's interesting too at Augusta. There's been four double eagles and they've all been on the different hole. Sarazen on fifteen. 15, right? Myself at eight, yeah. Maggot at 13, and um, the South African. Louis. Louis Eustazen at two. Eustazen on two, yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Isn't that amazing? That's a, that's a, cool, that's a cool club to be part of. I'm, I'll remember that. That's awesome. The crowd had to go crazy when it went in, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Um, f- from my standpoint, it was great because I had my dad with me that year. He'd come over oh, and awesome. he was standing up on top of the hill at eight, you know, because I couldn't see it go in. You know what it's like playing from down underneath that uh, big hill. But, right. but, and it was the first time that they, I think it was the first time they'd sort of reworked that green a little bit. And it, he said it just went in like a putt. So uh, <laughs> that was nice. That's cool. Yeah. So he was the answer to a trivia question for a long time. I was. You know, who was the only other guy other than Saracen to have a double eagle at the Masters? Yeah. What club did you have? Oh, four wood. Four wood? Yeah, right. obviously that was before they lengthened it uh, the right, way it is today. Right. But uh, I don't think I, – I think I'd need a driver, a four wood, and a four wood today to get there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, Bruce, correct me if I'm wrong, the progression has been as the years have gone on and technology has advanced for those double eagles, it was like four wood, four wood, three iron, four iron or something like that, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's a, yeah, I think Oosthuizen uh, made a two at two with a with an iron in his hand, I believe. It was an iron. I yeah. think it was a four iron, maybe. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think so. Well, let's talk about the U.S. Open, uh, uh, which uh, I guess as as you look at your record across the majors, uh, 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 you probably had. It's fair to say you had more success at the other three. <laughs> it's very very fair to say that. Uh, I think my two best U.S. Opens were the first two I played, uh, or close to it. I, I think I finished maybe 20th or 21st at uh, Southern Hills uh, one year. I'm sure Tiger won that year. Or no, maybe uh, Goosen won that year. I don't know. But anyway, you know, it. it the tournament just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Uh, that was especially when I played in U.S. Opens. It was all about the deep rough. You know, now – you know, the way Shinnecock was a few years ago with all the runoff areas and stuff. But all the U.S. Opens I played in, I, I just remember, you know, you, you have the 28-yard wide fairway and then, you know, your first cut and then six inches of hay. So when I hit a drive, which is a good drive for me to miss the fairway by two inches, and you got to grab your sandwich to hack it out, uh, I, I was just mentally frustrated with that, uh, even probably before I got to the U.S. Open. Uh, so I probably had a little bit of negativity going before I even got there most of the time and or didn't really like the course. I mean, I'm not a fan of Oakland Hills or Oak Hill or Medina or some of these places that they played the U.S. Open. So uh, Shinnecock, I always say I love Shinnecock, except when the U.S. Open is there. Uh, so I just wasn't really a U.S. Open guy uh, for that reason. Yeah. And, and Bruce, you know, as we've talked to now uh, probably 30 of of Mark's uh fellow colleagues on the on the tour that played back in the day 
Uh, we've heard that from a number of folks uh, that talked about a particular major, probably just they didn't feel well suited and, and, and went into it with a, you know, maybe not the optimal attitude, I guess. Huh? Well, yeah. And it, uh, well, it certainly was a, a big departure from what you were used to week in and week out. Uh, and you'd go to the open and, uh, I think a lot of players, to be quite honest, Mark, they, they, they felt like the USGA sort of tricked the golf course up a little bit. Yeah, I, I totally agree, Bruce. Uh, there, there have been times where, uh, you know, whether it be the rough or if they decide to let the greens get super, super hard or whatever, uh, like at Shinnecock and, uh, the year, uh, let me think, uh, anyway, the putting green was purple, uh, Sunday morning. Uh, I shot five over. And the average score was almost ten, nine and a half over, uh, and picked up twenty-one spots shooting five over. Isn't that crazy? Uh, it was, it was just dumb. I, I think uh, if that was eighty-six, that was probably Raymond Floyd the year he won. It wasn't eighty-six. It, I think it was the next one. Uh, uh, well, Corey won in ninety-five. All right, it was the next one then. <laughs> <laughs> Who won that one? Retief Goosen. Retief Goosen. Okay. Yeah. The year Retief won. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, that's just an example of sometimes the USJ and they, they, they go, yeah, we admit we let the course get away from us. Uh, Billy Mayfair putted a, a, a three footer on seven into the bunker, uh, you know, and he didn't hit it that hard either. So, I mean, there's just, there's some instances, uh, at times where the USJ can, uh, get a little carried away. Uh, having said that, I haven't played in the US Open in a long time, but watching on TV, it seems like they're doing a better job of, uh, I agree. A uh, better job of of trying to keep the course playable, so the guys don't get all grumpy. Yeah, yeah. Let's move on to more pleasant memories. Talk about the Open Championship, where Mark Kalkovecchia has had thirty starts, including nineteen cuts made. Uh, the one top five being the victory in nineteen eighty nine, but he's had some other success there: three top tens, nine top twenty fives. So let's just go right to nineteen eighty nine. Uh, Mark Kalkovecchia wins the Open Championship at Royal Troon. In a four-way, or, or rather a four-hole playoff with Wayne Grady and Greg Norman, and there's a whole lot to talk about there. But the first thing I'd ask you about is, you almost didn't go over there to play, did you? No, I didn't. Uh, my daughter was due uh, August eighth, which was the uh, Sunday of the uh, of the Open. So, you know, the last thing I wanted to do was miss the birth of my daughter. But uh, my ex-wife. Uh, you know, said, you're playing great. I think you should go. I got good vibes for you. Maybe she was just trying to get rid of me. I don't know. <laughs> so off, off we went. And, uh, uh, yeah, just the way the whole week unfolded, uh, I got there on Sunday. So the first practice round on Monday, uh, Mark O'Meara and I played Curtis Strange and Arnold Palmer in a little match. Ah. Uh, so my first ever round at Royal Troon, uh, I'm playing with Arnold Palmer. And uh, I've made a 30-footer in 18. I like that hole, by the way. Uh, that hole's been good to me. Uh, take 50, 50 quid off of Arnie. And, uh, made it. and he was like, damn you, Calc. And he was, you know, had a few curse, curse or choice words in there for me. But uh, he was he was, he was, was not happy I made that putt. But, uh, uh, but anyway, I just uh, I love the course. Uh, the, the week of weather was, was perfect. Yeah, and the good weather. The seven-day forecast was Low 70s, 10 to 15 mile an hour wind max. Uh, it was dry. They were in a drought, uh, you know, so the ball was bouncing and it was rolling. And uh, 
anyway, yeah, uh, just everything about that week was uh, turned out fantastic. So we certainly want to take our listeners through Sunday, uh, the round, uh, the playoff, and so forth. But you were three back after the third round, right? I think so, yeah. Yeah. And uh, uh, who were you playing with on Sunday? I was playing with David Faraday. Of all people, so, yeah. oh, was yeah. that good? Did, did it keep you loose? I mean, no, it was it was good. It was funny. Uh, you know, he was he was funnier when I wasn't wasn't playing so good. But then when I started uh, when I hold out that chip on twelve, well, actually, I made a fifty footer for par on eleven. Uh, back then, it was a par five, uh, and then he didn't say too much after that. But uh, yeah, I started three <laughs> back, and and Greg Norman had teed off an hour and a half in front of me. And he had already birdied the first six holes. Yeah. So I was like, wow. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think I was maybe one under after – or two under after seven or six. And then I played a really sloppy seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, and even 12. Uh, I was kind of all over the place and just, just trying to hold it together and and uh, have a good finish. Because uh, Wayne Grady at that time, even though Greg was, was playing great, had still had a, a two- or three-shot lead. And, uh, anyway, so I'm in the gorse bush all the way up 11, right, left, right, left. You know, anyway, I finally got it on on four and I had this 50 footer. I didn't even clean my ball. And back then, obviously you, you couldn't leave the pin in. So I hit, I putt it when my caddy was still 10 feet from the flag and he sees my balls on the way. So he takes the flag out and went in. boom, it goes in, uh, you know, it looked like a straight putt. So I just hit it and went in. Then I hit another crappy drive right on 12. And then a, even a worse iron shot, a five iron short left of the green over there behind a dirt hill. And I got up there and my ball's just basically in bare dirt. And the pin was back left and there's a swale and an upslope. So I thought, well, I better not try to bounce this into the hill in case it doesn't make it. And then, I, then I'm likely to make double. So I just I said, try to fly it on the green, keep it on the back of the green somewhere and see if you can make a 30, 30 footer for par. And I hit it, and obviously it just went, boom, just flew right in. And I put my hat, my visor down. I was like embarrassed, and, and I didn't even look at Faraday. Uh, but anyway, after that, I, I didn't miss a shot really the rest of the day. Uh, just it changed my spirits just a hundred percent, and uh, managed to. Uh, uh, Greg was done, so I knew I'd needed to birdie two of the last four yeah. to have a chance. Yeah, because he's in a thirteen under. Wayne's still fifteen under on 11 or 12. So I had driver, driver on 16, two putt, hit the green, two putt for birdie. 17's a really hard hole. Uh, three iron, middle of the green, two putt. And then 18, I hit a really good drive, uh, probably about 90%. Not not my all-time career best, but a really good one. And I was three paces short of that bunker that Norman ended up yeah. hitting it in. Yeah. So I was like, wow. Uh, but, you know, I had a perfect lie, a perfect yardage for a good hard eight iron. And I got up over it, and I got, felt this wave of nausea, of nervousness come over me. And I, I hardly ever back off shots, but I back off, take a deep breath, and say, okay, just do what you've been doing, and, and you know, hit it three feet. Yeah. I made it to tie Greg. Uh, and then Wayne was still 15 under, playing the 14, the par three, which he bogeyed, uh, part 15. And then he didn't birdie 16. And then 17, he bogeyed that hole for the fourth day in a row. Right, yeah. So yeah. he really doesn't like that hole, and then didn't yeah. birdie eighteen. So now we're going into a playoff. So I, I asked the R and A guy. I said, "I assume we're going back to 18. 
He knows, no, we're going to one. One to one. You know, one's the easiest hole in the golf course. It's a driver and a 60-yard L wedge. And uh, I said, well, that's a weird hole to have a sudden death playoff on. He goes, no, we're playing one, two, 17, 18. I had no (laughs) idea. What? I had no idea it was a four-hole playoff. (laughs) Because at the beginning of the week, you're not really paying attention to what the playoff holes are. I mean, that's the last thing you're thinking about at the beginning of the week. I don't even know if they had it posted on the wall, but did did you really care? I mean, what was your mindset when you learned it was a four hole playoff? No, I was I was glad. Uh, you know, I mean, because sudden death, anything can happen. At least you got four holes. If yeah, the other guy makes a birdie right off the hop or something, where it would normally have been over, you're still alive. Yeah. So, of course, you're going up against a guy that made eleven birdies that day, right? Yeah, and so he birdies one again. Yeah, and, uh, and then he birdies two again. But birdies I made two. a thirty footer in front of him on two. But then he made another ten or twelve footer. Uh, so he's two under. I'm one under, and Wayne's even. And we go to seventeen, and he blisters a three iron, but it goes just over the green. But it's fine. Uh, I hit it in the middle of the green. Good shot. And Wayne hits it in the bunker again. Makes his fifth straight bogey in that hole. Yeah. And then what blew my mind was Greg had one little tall, skinny piece of grass in front of him. I mean, he was just a, a yard over the green, but there's like no grass. And he, he grabs his eight iron or something. And I whacked my, my buddy, my caddy on the shoulder. I said, can you believe he's chipping this? And he's like, no, what's he doing? And, and sure enough, he chipped it eight, nine, ten feet by. I almost made the putt and then he missed. So... Uh, we're tied at one under and Wayne's one over. Uh, I, because I knew that bunker was reachable. And back then I never hit a three wood off the tee. I either hit a driver or a one iron. Mm. Uh, so I just hit a, just a big old flame out drive. Terrible. Uh, went nowhere. Uh, Greg gets up there and just blisters one and I'm on the left side of the tee and it's going right down the middle and it starts to hit, have a slight little fade to it. And I knew that bunker was reachable. And and they're like, beauty, Greg, you know, uh, him and uh, Bruce Edwards, who was caddying for him yeah. at the time. Yeah. And uh, I'm kind of standing over there on the side of the tee, and I'm looking at it, and I said, if this kicks just a little bit right, it's going to catch that bunker. And sure enough, it kicked right. And I saw it roll in the corner of the bunker, go up the lip and roll back down. I mean, it only hit it by a foot. But he thought he was perfect, and I knew he was in that bunker. And uh, – Anyway, we get up to our, our drives. I got 201 to the hole, perfect lie in the rough, and just hit a beautiful five iron. It never left the flag. Uh, still don't know how I did it to this day, but anyway, it looked like it was two or three feet from back on the fairway. So I think that's what really made Greg try to hit the you know, uh, hero shot, just yeah. to, you know, hit a shot that couldn't be hit. Yeah. Turns out he hit it as good as he hit it, but he, he could hit it, but he went right in that cross bunker about 50 yards short of the green. And then he hit that one in the clubhouse, and, uh, and then he just he said, "That's it, I'm done." Yeah. yeah. And uh, Wayne made his putt for birdie, and I knew I could still three putt and win, but uh, uh, yeah, I kind of short stroked it, but went right in the middle. So, well, that was it. yeah. So uh, uh, they you go to the prize giving, and then now it's Mark Kalkavecchia, champion golfer of the year. How does that feel? Yeah, I think I was still in a state of shock. I really don't even remember what I said to this day. Uh, you know, at that point when you're you're holding the, the, the claret jug and, you know, the stands are still packed, uh, you know, the whole green surrounded with photographers and stuff. And it's just like uh, you just whatever comes out of your mouth comes out. Uh, what I do remember was, uh, uh, you know, doing the press conferences and stuff and having a glass of champagne with all the volunteers and, 
Next thing you know, we're uh, we're in the courtesy car, going back to the hotel. We're staying at the British Caledonian in Air, and at the hotel on the fourth floor, there's a bar slash restaurant. So pretty much every night we went up there to eat and or have a beer or something, and you know got to know everybody, the bartenders, the, all the waiters, waitresses, and whatnot. And they're like, you know, I told them at the start of the week if if I win, I'm going to bring the claret jug up here and we're going to have a party. And they're like, yeah, yeah, sure, sure, okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jangloff, uh, I didn't even go to the room. I marched straight up the stairs to the fourth floor, and the place was packed. And oh. uh, they were all expecting me, and I kept my word. And uh, uh, I don't really remember much of what happened after that, other than there was a, a lot to, a lot of partying going on, and everybody was taking a picture with me in the jug, and they were holding it. Uh, they great. just all had the best time. So I think that, that's a memory they'll all remember. Pretty cool. Well, you, you you had 13 strokes in the playoff, and so I always jokingly say that Mark Alcavecki is the only guy that shot 81 on Sunday and won the Open Championship. Yeah, yeah that's right. That's pretty good. I like that. Thank you for listening to another episode of For the Good of the Game. And please, wherever you listen to your podcast on Apple and Spotify, if you like what you hear, please subscribe, spread the word. And tell your friends, until we tee it up again, for the good of the game, so long, everybody. Whack down the fairway, it went smack down the fairway. Then it started to slice just a smidge off line. It headed for two, but it bounced off nine. My caddy says, long as you're still in the state, you're okay. Yes, it went straight down the middle Why?